So I want you to think about, we, we all have this person in our lives. I want you to think about the person uh, that is hardest in your life to say no to. Like for, for whatever reason, they've just got a soft spot. You just, it's really hard to say no to that person. And maybe it's multiple people, but we all got at least one, right? Like maybe, maybe for you, it's your kids. Um, I'm certainly um, in, that, in that stage right now. I've got three little girls. They're all under four. So I, I can't say no with anything. Like, you know, like during bedtime when kids give you excuse, every excuse why they can't go to bed. Like I'm hungry on this. I, I'm like, let's go do another course of dinner. Like I just, I, I can't take them to Target because I buy everything. I just can't, I can't say no. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's one of your kids, don't say which one, right? You've got that person. Maybe, maybe you've got a daughter, like maybe she's about to get married and you're just like, whatever on the wedding budget, I'll, whatever you need. You just keep, you, you, you had a line and you just keep, keep passing it. You, you don't really care anymore. Maybe it's a grandkid that you spoil, okay? I'm not a grandparent, but I feel like that's the move. Just spoil them. I think you're doing it, you're doing it right. Maybe it's your grandma, I don't know, a parent, a, a boss that you can't say no to, a spouse, a mother-in-law. Maybe it should be your mother in law, right? Um, practice that one. Maybe you're just a yes person. And so you just say yes to everyone and you struggle to say no to anyone, right? wherever you are. Like we've all got that one person, right? Because you love them or you feel bad or you're guilty. You feel like you owe them. You work for them. Maybe they're cute. You want them to like you back for whatever reason, right? That you struggle to say no. Well, it's been my experience. And I would imagine maybe it's your experience too, that I think actually the hardest person to say no to is in fact yourself. Hold on to that and we'll come back to it in just a second. We kicked off a brand new series last week called This is the Way, where we are unpacking together what it means to follow in the way of Jesus. By looking back at his first invitation and his initial teaching to his first followers and recapturing together what it means to follow. And this is kind of the tension that we've been wrestling with throughout the course of this series. And it's this, that you can be a Christian and not follow in the way of Jesus. In other words, you can be fully convinced about who Jesus is and not be committed to following in the way that he taught and in the way that he modeled. And Christians, we talked about this last week, but just to catch everybody up, Christians um, in the first century, they did not call themselves Christians. In fact, the term Christians was coined by those that weren't Christians. It was a political term. It just meant those that belonged to the party of Jesus. They'd, they'd become a prominent enough group of people that they needed some kind of identifier. Christians, they didn't call themselves Christians. What they called themselves was telling. They called themselves followers of the way. Over and over and over again in the book of Acts that shows us the explosion of the early church after the death and resurrection of Jesus. They called themselves followers of the way. And what that phrase literally means in the Greek, it's a whole way of life. A whole way of life. All encompassing that for the earliest Christians, following Jesus was not just something to believe. It was a whole way of life. A whole way of being a whole way of doing, a whole way of serving, a whole way of loving, and ultimately a whole way of becoming. And what we so easily do, and myself included, 
is that we've reduced the idea of following Jesus down to just a belief statement rather than a personal mission statement. That we've kind of reduced the idea of following Jesus down to just that. It's just an idea. It's a belief rather than a, this is how I live my life. This is how I've ordered my life. And following Jesus isn't less than belief, but according to Jesus, it was certainly more. And we looked at some of the cultural context of that first invitation to follow, right? We, Jesus has a lot of titles, right? Messiah, the, the, the Christ, he's the, the risen one, the savior. But when he walked around in the first century, he would have had another title and it was that of rabbi, which is just Hebrew for teacher. And just like rabbis before Jesus and during the time of Jesus and after Jesus, they had disciples. They had students that just like Jesus did, that they would invite to follow them, And the best understanding of this rabbi-student relationship that has implications for us today, and we said this last week, is to understand that the the disciple is a word that we throw around a lot in church, but the the best definition to capture what a disciple was to a rabbi is this word, an apprentice, that a disciple or a student of Jesus or any rabbi, they were really an apprentice, right? You know this. You can be a student to learn just for learning's sake, but an apprentice, an apprentice has one goal, to learn in order to be just like their teacher, to learn in order to be just like their rabbi. And so any follower of a rabbi in the first century had one goal to be just like their rabbi. And the followers of Jesus, those that he called would have been invited into that cultural context. So we kind of brought in today, we said this, that to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus, not just to believe something, it's to order your life around the way of Jesus. That believing in Jesus's name is how you become a Christian, right? But following in Jesus's way is how you be a Christian. And we looked at at the end of Jesus's most famous sermon where he gives all those that were listening in the Sermon on the Mount an invitation. And he says, hey, I want you to enter through, I want you to enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to, to destruction. And many, many will enter through it. But small is the gate, he said, and narrow is the road or in the Greek way. Narrow is the way that leads to life and only few find it. Small is the gate. Hey, come in and follow me. That's an invitation. And narrow is the way. The process of your life, the process of ordering your life around his. And that's where you'll find life. And only few will find it. Not because it's not available to them, but because it will be the road less traveled. But Jesus makes a promise. It's where you'll find life. And so Jesus invited them and he invites us not just to believe in him as savior, but to follow him as our teacher along the narrow way. So the question then becomes, what is that narrow way marked by? Because Jesus not only taught it, but he modeled it. So what does it require of you and me if we want to follow? Well, a little bit later in the gospel of Matthew in chapter 16, uh, Jesus has this moment. I think it's like this defining moment with him and his disciples where he unpacks a little bit more what it means and what it requires to follow in this narrow way behind Jesus. Matthew 16, verse 21, the gospel writer Matthew tells us, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples, his apprentices, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. 
So Jesus here, he's describing to his disciples, right? Kind of his inner circle, what he must do for the sake of the world, that his way would be marked with suffering. To demonstrate to the world his love in the most unthinkable of ways, death on a cross, a death that he did not deserve, but then he would rise again for the sins of the world. And then Peter is listening. And Peter doesn't like it. And Peter, anytime he didn't like something, he made sure to let everybody know it. And in this moment, Peter's hearing this and he pulls Jesus aside and he rebukes him. He rebukes him as if, as if that's a good idea. I don't know that I'd ever try to rebuke Jesus, okay? Peter has this weak moment. He rebukes him. He says, never, Lord, never. This shall never happen to you. I would imagine Peter started with pure intentions because he loved Jesus. He didn't want to see Jesus suffer harm, but I think beneath all of that, as Jesus will make clear, Peter did not want to imagine life without Jesus, the one that he'd committed to following. And here in this moment, unknowingly, he communicated to his teacher, hey, I know better than you. So Jesus takes this moment to let Peter know it. Verse 23, he says, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. Try that in your next argument. See how it goes. (laughs) Don't actually, don't, don't do that. Get behind me saying, you are a stumbling block to me. Now, this isn't Jesus being mean or unnecessarily harsh. Here's Jesus's point that his path of suffering which would lead him to the cross to die for the sins of the world was so central to God's plan for the redemption of the world that to to sidestep it or to try and avoid it because it was hard would be the work of none other than the adversary himself. Peter's words, his attitude, his outlook was a stumbling block or a trap. And then Jesus gives us a little bit of an insight into where this came from, from Peter. He said, you, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter was being driven by human concern. The lens through which Peter was looking at his life and even the life of Jesus was through human concerns, human wants, and human desires. That Jesus lays out one way that he's going to go and Peter doesn't like it and says, I want a different way, an easier way, a more comfortable way, a more convenient way. And then Jesus takes this moment to teach his apprentices, what following in the way will require. So then Jesus, he turns to his disciples. Then, then Jesus said to all of them, he kind of brought them in. Then in direct response to what Peter had just said, Then in response to putting human concerns before the concerns of God, then in response to the tension that you felt at one point or another, I would imagine of putting your wants and desires before anything or anyone else, Jesus teaches, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my apprentice, this is, this is so important. Whoever wants, whoever wants to exercise their will, that's what that word want means. Whoever wants to exercise their will to be one of my disciples. You know this, you don't drift 
into following Jesus. You don't, you don't drift into ordering your life around Jesus. You don't even believe your way into ordering your life around Jesus. Here, Jesus is inviting them. He's inviting you and me to commit. It's an invitation to commit. And then Jesus utters some of his most famous teachings. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Central to the call to follow along the narrow way is a call to self-denial. To say no to your selfish desires and appetites that desire more, they desire it now, and they don't care what it costs. This word deny, it's a, it's a strong word. It's the same word that would describe what Peter did when Jesus was on the cross and arrested, when Peter denied Jesus three times. To deny means to disassociate from self. To be clear, self-denial is not hating yourself. It's not intentionally making your life miserable or an attitude of self-loathing. No, self-denial, self-denial is renouncing the centrality and the priority of self. Renouncing the centrality and the priority of self. To deny self is to renounce you as the center of the universe. To renounce our needs and desires as most important. To deny self. Again, remember in the context as Jesus is responding to Peter. Is to not look at life through the lens of human concerns with self at the center, but to have in mind something bigger, the things of God, the way of Jesus. And this, you don't need me to tell you, is hard because it goes against the very natural tendency of the human race. There is nothing more unnatural, whether you're a person of faith or not, there is nothing more unnatural than self-denial. I mean, the natural tendency of all of us, of all of us, is to focus on self, serving our own interests, gratifying our desires and our needs. The inclination we all have to satisfy any appetite whenever, with whatever, or however. To focus only on our dreams, our wants, and our hopes. And you know this, no one has to teach you this. Just look at toddlers, right? Come on. You don't even have to have one right now to know. Like, you've been around one. You've been around a niece or, or, or a nephew, whatever. Like, for toddlers, they're at the center of the universe. Like, they don't think anybody else exists other than them. It's all about, we don't help, right, with all the, do it again. Let me take a picture, right? Like, they kind of are at the center of the universe, if you think about it. But they act like it, right? They, they know it. And, and if somebody has what they want, it doesn't matter. They want it. What they want, they want it now. And they'll throw a fit unless they get it. And you can't negotiate with a toddler. Like that negotiation is not going to work. It's not going to go in your favor because they're incapable of thinking that there's a cost. Hey, if you do this, then you don't get this later. It's like, I don't even know what time means. I just want it. You know what I mean? And to give them a break, toddlers, toddlers are developmentally incapable of thinking beyond themselves. That capacity comes later. But just because that capacity comes later as we get older does not mean our selfish desires and that default just disappears. Come on, as adults, 
It's just as natural to think about and to want to fulfill self. That doesn't change. The default doesn't change. I mean, come on. With the world before us, it just gets more intense, more complicated, messier. And there's a lot more at stake. To deny the centrality and the priority of self is to swim upstream and against the very current of the natural human condition. And our Western culture, I mean, our Western culture doesn't help us at all. I mean, it's a culture seemingly built on gratifying our desires so that we might be fulfilled, right? In the age of, you know, you can order it now, it'll be here before the sun goes down, right? Like you turn it on and binge watch it now till your eyes bleed. You know, there's there's an app for that. We're bombarded with messages day in and day out. You can have it now. You should have it now. Why don't you have it now? You deserve it now. No one else in the equation matters. You just do you. And Jesus so counterculturally teaches to follow me, to be one of my apprentices, is to leave behind the selfishness and self centered thinking for the sake of something bigger, for the sake of something better. And come on. We can all at least agree on this, no matter whether you're a person of faith or not. You know this. There is a self that just needs to be denied. Like, you know this. There is a part of you. There's a part of you that just needs to be denied. And if you're a person of faith, right, we would call that the part of you that's broken by sin. And if you're not a person of faith and you're like, I don't know about that, you know that there's just, title it whatever you want. There's a part of you that you just know needs to be denied. The self that is driven and controlled by desires and wants and attraction and impulses, like that self has got you in trouble, right? Come on, the self that says in every and any circumstance, I, me, and my. Well, you know that self needs to be denied. The self, the self, come on, you know this? The self that you don't want to be and the self that you don't want others to see, that self needs to be denied. The self, the self that wants to sit on the throne and call all the shots. You've been there. And you know it does not work out for well, work out well for you. The self that has thoughts that even surprise you. That if people really got into some of the things that you thought, thank goodness you don't say them. You think, man, come on. We all have a self that needs to be denied. Because you know, doing, doing everything you want to do isn't always good for you or others. And that self, Jesus says, says that is broken by sin. Jesus says, I want you to deny it. Say no. The part that is hardest to say no to, and the one that's hardest to say no to, is you. And here's here's what makes this even especially harder. Is that in this moment, Jesus is not just talking about the denial of self, like denying the, the bad parts of us, the parts of us that break things, the parts of us that do things that we regret. Like, that's hard, but you can at least understand that, right? But to renounce the centrality and the priority of self is also surrendering everything. It's surrendering your desires, even if they're good. It's being willing to surrender your hopes, your dreams, and your wills. It's saying, okay, Lord, I know I've kind of got my own plan and I've got my dreams and I've got my own hopes, but if for whatever reason, for whatever reason that those hopes and those dreams aren't in the cards of my life, I'm going to choose to trust and to follow you anyway, no matter how you slice it. 
Self-denial is a life of surrender. That's hard. I don't even like to not be the one driving. You know, come on. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And Jesus, he makes it even harder. He makes it even harder. He says, whoever wants to be one of my apprentices must deny themselves and take up their cross. This would have been an image that would have stopped his disciples in their tracks. They would have felt the weight of this in a way that is lost on us today. Crucifixion, which was practiced by the Greeks and the Persians and by the time of Jesus, perfected by the Romans. So disgraceful, in fact, was crucifixion that it was against Roman law for Roman citizens to be crucified. It's as if the, the, the Rome was just like, hey, listen, we'll do this to everybody else, but it's just too bad to do to our own. In the Roman world, a condemned criminal or rebel would carry their own cross or at least the cross beam of the cross to the place of crucifixion, the disciples would have immediately understood the implication that to take up your cross was a prelude to death. And what Jesus is saying here and what he's teaching them is that this is a sign of complete and total denial of self. Jesus was talking about the death of your selfishness in mind and the death of any self-centered thinking or behavior that puts all of us at the center and at the priority. The complete death of the part of you broken by sin that leads you to do things and say things that you ultimately regret and leads to hurt and pain. Jesus was talking about the death of one way of life so we could follow him in a totally new, brand new way of life. But he makes clear that there's a cost to being one of my apprentices. The cost really is the cross. Every apprentice of Jesus, every follower of Jesus has some and will have some cross to bear over and over again throughout the course of your life. And it will look different depending on where you are and what season that you're in. Self-denial is surrender, but it is also sacrifice. And I'm going to sugarcoat, right? To follow, to be an apprentice, to order your life around the way of Jesus, it will cost you. Just like the cross. I mean, it might cost you your comfort. It might cost you your convenience. It might cost you the status quo of your life. It might cost you an old way of doing things. It might cost you a profitable way of doing things. It might cost you some personal ambition. It might cost you a personal goal. It might feel like the death of a dream. It might cost you more money. We could go on and on. Here's what Jesus is making totally clear. To deny self is the death of self. And there was no other rabbi teaching any of their apprentices to deny themselves and to take up their cross because there was no other rabbi that was going to deny themselves and take up their cross for the sake of the world except Jesus of Nazareth the rabbi of rabbis and the teacher of all teachers who would prove to be the Christ the Messiah the king the savior of the world who looked at his disciples and he invited them And he would invite you and me to then follow 
him. You want to be my disciple? You want to be one of my apprentices? Let me tell you what the narrow way is marked by. That you'd have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow me. And this word follow, it is a present tense command. Meaning it is ongoing in process. It means ongoing. It is a daily thing that if as you follow me, the daily rhythm of your life, the daily ordering of your life, if you want to be one of my apprentices, is to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. That it would be a regular rhythm of your life. This is the narrow way that Jesus modeled. This is the central teaching to ordering your life around him to deny self, take up the cross and follow every day in every relationship, in every job, in every situation, in any and every season or circumstance you find yourself in. Jesus would say, hey, follow me. Deny yourself, take up the cross, follow me. I'm gonna go first. And he did it for the world. And this is hard. Come on. Is it worth it? Because there is no doubt. There is no doubt that there is a cost to following in the way of Jesus. And anybody that tells you otherwise isn't being fully honest, right? Come on. There is a cost. There is a cost. But then Jesus and his kindness, he gives us a reason to follow him along the narrow way. Why surrender and sacrifice is worth it. He says, for, let me just tell you, let me tell you why you should follow me. Let me tell you why you should do exactly what I'm not only teaching you, but what I am going to model you for. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever said, again, that same, whoever wants the same word as earlier, whoever wants to set their will, whoever wants to exercise their will in this life to try to save their life, the opposite will happen. You're actually going to lose it. And by life, yes, eternal life, but he means life in the here and now, like quite literally your soul encompassing of all that you are in the here and now, that if we regard life And our time here is nothing more than just ordinary and physical, do what I want, when I want, with no regard to anything or anyone else. He's saying, you're going to miss life in the most important sense. That to spend your life and to spend my life striving and trying to get and make my happiness the ultimate barometer for all of my decision making, to give your life away to all that will one day wither away, Jesus saying, I'm telling you, you're going to miss it. And as Jesus so often does in his teaching, he's not making a threat. He's just telling you and me how life works. What Jesus isn't saying is if you live for self, then life will be taken from you. What he is saying is if we focus on self, we'll let life in the best and fullest sense slip right through our fingers. He's saying you'll live but you'll never be fully alive. For who wants to, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But there's another way. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. The person, the person that looks for every day, that looks for the opportunity to use their time 
and their energy and their resources for my sake and for the sake of others. I'm just telling you, you're gonna find your life, he says. The person that leverages all that they have and all that they are for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of others, you're going to find life in the fullest sense. The person, the person that surrenders, that's willing to say no to their broken desires that want to lead them down a path contrary to the way of Jesus and say no to that ugly sin that rears its ugly head in all of our lives and wants to do nothing but kill every good thing in our lives and instead fall in the way of Jesus. I'm just telling you, he said, you're going to find life in the fullest sense. The person that looks at all they do and commit all they do and all they are in whatever industry, in whatever job, in the way that you date, in your marriage, in the way that you parent, in the way that you conduct yourself with strangers, in the way that you view your life, whatever circumstance you're in, no matter the cost, he's just saying, you're going to find life. You're going to find real life. Then he goes on and gives us some logic. He says, let me just ask you some control questions. Come on, what good would it be? What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? That'd be no good at all. Or, or can anyone give an exchange for their soul? Nothing. There's nothing valuable enough. His point is this. There's nothing we could ever gain or nothing we could ever give that we would ever want to lose in exchange for our soul. You don't want to forfeit your soul his point is this, and don't miss the iron here. There's nothing worth the life that he died to give you. And don't miss the irony. We could never gain the whole world. Or you know this. Human desire for more is infinite and unquenchable. John D. Rockefeller, one of the richest people that ever lived, right? Famous oil tycoon. You might have heard about this interview that he had back in the day. He's getting along in years and he is still grinding it out, still making so much money, right? Taken for inflation. I mean, he's one of the richest people that ever lived. And he's in this interview and the interviewer asks him, Mr. Rockefeller, you're, you know, you're, you're getting on in years, but you're still working. You're still trying to make all this money. Like how much more money would be enough? And he looked at this reporter, this interviewer, and he just said, just a little bit more. The human desire is infinite unquenchable. And come on, for us, no matter what it is, it's the same. More money, more stuff, just a little bit more. Success, power, it's never going to be fulfilling, just a little bit more. Notoriety, followers, just a little bit more. Pleasure, doing whatever it does to just feel good for a moment. Come on, you know this, just a little bit more. And in an effort to gain everything, you're only left wanting. And when you're left wanting, it's like you've gained nothing. You know what Jesus is doing here? He's straight up doing a cost-benefit analysis. That's what he's doing. And I'm trying to strip well spirituality, but that's what he's doing right here, right? Come on, you do this all the time with a big purchase, when you're changing jobs, going from two incomes to one, some of you do this every time you sit down at a restaurant, deciding what to order, right? Like cost bit of analysis. I do this every time I decide whether or not I'm going to ask my wife if I can play golf. Like you do, we do this. How long does it take? You do this, right? We, we do this all the time. And, and most decisions that we, the reason you do this is not because there's a cost associated. There's, there's usually going to be a cost with some kind of decision. You do this because you're trying to figure out if the benefit outweighs the cost, the cost isn't what deters you from something. It's whether or not the benefit outweighs it or not. And hear me. 
undoubtedly there is going to be a cost. And it's going to look differently in different seasons and in different times of life. A cost to following Jesus. But don't miss this. There is a greater cost not to. There is a greater cost to you and to your life to not follow Jesus along the narrow way. Yes to self is ultimately no to life. You've experienced this. You know this. You've run into dead ends saying yes to self over and over again. And Jesus is teaching us and would model the selfless life is more life. In the reordering of your life beyond the centrality and the priority of self is where we will find real happiness that is not fleeting. We'll find real joy and true peace no matter where we find ourselves. It's the place where we'll have a brand new capacity to experience love with those that we love the most because we're not the priority and we're not at the center. It's when we can experience real contentment because we know there's nothing here that's gonna totally satisfy us. But I can be a part of building something bigger than me. It's where we'll find fulfillment and purpose and it's the place where we can begin to root out the ugly parts of our sinful desire that rear its ugly head and reap destruction in our lives. It's where you and I begin to experience full life, free and forever. This is the way. And Jesus looks at his disciples. He looks at his apprentices and he looks at you and he looks at me and he says, so I'm gonna invite you to follow. And a little later on, he'd go to the cross for the sins of the world and rise again in victory, cementing who he is and why he's worth following. So the way for you and for me, marked by daily surrender and sacrificial living, daily surrender and sacrificial living. And you know this, right? If you grow up in church, this isn't, this isn't a surprise to you, but come on. We get into the day and we get into the going, we get into the working, we get into the parenting, we get into the mess, we get into the difficulty. And before you know it, we've lost all sight. Come on, every day, ongoing process, he says, follow the narrow way daily, daily surrender and sacrificial living. Every day we'd start our day just saying, okay, Lord, this isn't about me. This isn't about what I want that there's something bigger, there's something better. This isn't about my dreams and my hopes. This isn't about what I want. This is about following you, trusting that on the other side of the equation, it's more life, it's better life. Daily surrender and sacrificial living, modeling the life of our teacher. So come on. What is self limiting your capacity for? What is self keeping you from? Come on. Every day, every day, there are countless opportunities for us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow. And I don't want you to miss the normal mundane moments of your life where you can practice this. Because look, there's gonna be moments in your life where the cost 
of denying yourself and picking up your cross will be greater than other seasons of your life. Like there's just gonna be these defining moments in your life, these defining seasons where there's gonna be a crossroad between what you really want to do and then what it would require to follow. And the cost will be great. We're gonna run into that, but don't miss the normal mundane moments where you and I every single day can practice the way of Jesus Right, come on, for me, like every day I come home from work, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I just want to veg out on the couch for a minute. And my oldest will come up and say, Dad, Harper will say, can you play with me? And I love her, but there's moments when I just rather sit there. But denying myself looks like this, looking at her and saying, yeah, Harper, let's go have a tea party. <laughs> it's those nights that I'm, I'm tucked into bed, I'm ready. I've got my retainer in. <laughs> my wonderful wife, Julie, says, hey, babe, can you go downstairs and get me a glass of water? And I'm like, ah, do I pretend like I'm asleep and can't hear her? <laughs> Come on. Every day, every day. And the small and the mundane to practice for when the stakes are higher. Every day we have countless opportunities to deny self and take up our cross. If you are a parent, if you are a spouse, if you are dating, if you are engaged, you have countless opportunity to deny self and take up your cross. If you have a job, if you have a roommate, if you know another human, right? If you make money, if you're trying to make money, come on. Every day there's opportunities to deny self and take up your cross. And don't miss this. If you have a pulse and experience the dueling desires of what you want to do and then knowing what you should do every day, you get to decide, am I going to deny self and pick up my cross and follow on the narrow way that leads to life or not. Because Jesus not only invited us to follow, but has given us his spirit to empower us to do so. So no matter where you are, you might be curious, maybe you're convinced, and maybe you're committed in areas and you're trying to figure out. Like I said last week, I want you to start with where you are, not where you think you should be. Every single one of us, whether you believe or not, can begin to practice daily surrender. Let's try it. And then sacrificial living. There's a, uh, a famous missionary. His name is Jim Elliott. You might have heard of him. Um, he actually lost his life sharing the gospel to a tribal group in South America. And just before he lost his life, he had written this in his journal. And this, is so, this is so powerful. He says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep can't gain the whole world, to gain what he cannot lose. And I know, come on, most of us are probably never going to be in a situation where our lives are endangered because of our faith. And we're fortunate enough to live in a country where that's never going to be the case. But don't miss the power and the implication of what he wrote. Because all of us, if we're not careful, all of us, all of us are um, inclined to want to go the broad way. And all of us, all of us are in danger 
of losing our lives in the fullest sense in order to try to keep the thing we're never going to be able to hold on to, but saying no to losing it all so we can gain the thing in Jesus that we can never lose in this life and in the life to come. Because Jesus, Jesus wants to offer you life. He wants to offer you he wants to offer me when nothing else could ever give. And this, my friends, is the countercultural and seemingly counterintuitive and counterproductive way of Jesus. Lose in order to gain. Fulfillment by way of denial. Die in order to live. Satisfaction through sacrifice. Follow me, he says. There's a cost. But there's a greater cost not to. So trust me, he says. This is the way. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that Jesus would not just teach it, but model self-denial and take it up the cross. And Lord, I pray that no matter where we are, would you give us would you give us a clear picture of the length that Jesus went to for us? And may it inspire faith in us, encourage in us today to take an honest look and an honest inventory at the life we want to lead and the life that we want to be true of us. And may you give us the courage and even the foresight to be willing, no matter the cost, to follow on the narrow way, trusting in the very words of Jesus, that in that way and on that path, there is life. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.